Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Through that time, as you can imagine, we've watched fad diets and fitness crazes come and go. But when the fads have failed and the crazes died out and people just want something that works, they turn to Precision Nutrition for things like expert coaching, guided mentorship, and online support. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will help make the whole nutrition, fitness, and health process work for you. Ideally, you'll discover that eating, moving, and living well can be easy and enjoyable for now and into the future. So let's get started. Uh, we're ready to go. We're recording right now. Awesome. This is Ryan Andrews. I'm joined by John Berardi and Brian St. Pierre. We are in Toronto. And over the last several years of coaching, I get a lot of questions and People are curious about a lot of things when it comes to nutrition and behavior change and all this stuff related to health and body composition. So I wanted to get these guys in a room and just have a discussion, bring up some discussion points and questions and see what comes out of it. So I'll kick things off with the first question. So you guys have been involved in this nutrition and fitness and health thing for a long time. I mean, like JB, 24 years. Brian, 16 years. You've done this while single, roommates, living with a spouse, raising kids, going to school, working different jobs, during injuries, and so forth. You guys have lost weight, gained weight, maintained your weight. You've coached others, coached yourselves. So based on your personal and professional experience, can you offer a couple ideas or suggestions related to how actively changing your body so gaining muscle or losing fat is different from just kind of holding things steady once you get there, maintaining. JB, want to kick things off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'd love to answer the question. Um, although I feel like after you described all of our lifestyle experiences and having been done this, been doing this for so long, I should just retire <laughs> before it gets too far ahead of me. Um, the... Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. In fact, Ryan, this is like something that you've talked about and it's really hit home for me. It's the idea that like, you know, at any point in your life, or if you take the sum total of all the years of your life, you should be actively changing your body for like the tiniest, most minute portion of it. And it wasn't until I heard you actually say that where it really struck home for me. I was like, why would you like be in eternal weight loss mode? Or if you wanted to build muscle or gain weight, why would you be in eternal weight gain mode? You really, the ideal should be you lose the weight that you want to, and it takes a little baby tiny period of your life, and then you, the rest of your life, you just maintain that, right? Um, and vice versa, if you want to gain, or I don't know, if you want to get your cholesterol down, like it would be great to not be getting your cholesterol down for the rest of your life. Just get it down over the next six months to one year and then just keep it down forever, right? So, you know, if if you lost weight once and it took you one year, like in PN coaching or something, uh, and you're 35 years old, well, then you have like one year of, of loss and then hopefully you live to 100 
and now you have like 65 years of maintenance. And I just remember you talking about that. I was like, oh my, that's so right. It's so true. Like you should, so uh, if that's also true, um, why wouldn't you spend 65 times the amount of time figuring out how to maintain? But it doesn't feel like that's how people do sort of put their energy into this. They spend a lot of time figuring out how to lose or gain or change and almost no time thinking about maintaining. Um, and that's, uh, from this perspective, it's kind of crazy, you know? But I guess, uh, I guess I understand why, because if you don't figure out maintenance, then you're just losing again next year. So you're in the perpetual lose. But it's really lose, gain, lose, gain, lose, gain, right? So I don't know, I mean... You know, I know you and I have talked about this, Ryan, and I know you've seen a lot in coaching, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a question of that comes up a lot, right? And we were we were talking about some of this stuff earlier this week when we were together. And to actively lose, I think, takes more immediate thought processes and starker behavior changes that people are more consciously aware of when they're trying mm. to lose, and then when you're trying to maintain. You, know, you tend to relax things a little bit, which is totally fine, right? We all have a little bit of leeway, but oftentimes what you see happening is you just relax things a little bit or old habits slowly. It's, it's what I call a creep, right? It, nothing just comes on right away, but things just kind of creep and creep mm-hmm. and creep in, and then you slowly gain back what you've lost because you didn't pay as close of attention. Not that you need to be perpetually monitoring your intake, right? But to have like a framework in place for you to be able to assess and monitor occasionally, mm-hmm. right? And just to keep make sure like, oh, you know, I've realized I've gained four pounds this month, like I should probably take a few steps to to take care of that. But when you're actively trying to lose, you know, I think people are more in tune because that's mm-hmm. just what you associate with losing, right? Being more in tune, maybe weighing in more or doing food logs. People think of these kind of things when they're trying to lose. Not that you need to do all those things necessarily as often when you're maintaining, but they should still be a tool in your back pocket to use on occasion you know, to make sure you're still where you want to be. Well, it makes me think of two things. Like One is the cost of getting lean piece that we recently ran on our blog. You know, you guys teamed up to basically tackle this, this topic, right? Like, So what does it take to maintain? What does it take to lose just a little bit? What does it take mm-hmm. to lose a lot and make a, make a big change? So... What, what motivated that piece for you guys? I mean, I think even some of the things I think motivated this question right here that we're, we're covering, right? Like, we get a lot of questions from clients um, who say you know, they're, they're in a place they don't want to be, they want to just become fitter and healthier, and they ask if they have to live a lifestyle that seems so far removed from what they currently do. You know, and that's because that's just the perception, right? You see a lot of people in the fitness industry who are very fit and very healthy, and they live a very, very healthy lifestyle. But it's in, in some cases, like maybe more—I don't know what the right right word is—hardcore mm-hmm. than your average client who's maybe not passionate about fitness wants to live. But in their mind, that's what they need to do mm-hmm. just to be fitter and healthier. When in reality, it doesn't have to be that intense, right? It has to be that intense to have really incredible lean results at the end but if you just want to be better and healthier you don't have to go to that extreme and i think that's a there's a dissociation between what's required to get to x versus y so like you feel like sometimes people might join the gym or join precision nutrition coaching and they think like wow here's my life here and the fitness life is all the way over here Mm -hmm. super far away from this and 
gosh, I don't know if I'm able to, willing to, ready right. to go to that place. And so the part of the point of that article was to say, well, look, you don't. Like, please don't think that. That's an error. Mm-hmm. It's an error in judgment. And if you think that, you may give up. Uh, when it was when there was hope for you, after right. all, exactly. right? Now, I remember, Ryan, you talked about like a, another goal of that piece, like almost like the flip side. And that was real resonant for you. I know Brian, this, was, this particular one was really resonant for Brian. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look, you don't have to make massive changes. Uh, to get healthier and lose some body fat, you know, um, for you it was kind of a different, different perspective, right? I think it's really the article is good news for people who want to improve their health and they're not as interested or focused on body composition changes. I mean, not everybody wants to actively lose or gain a bunch of weight, so. Somebody says, hey, I want to focus on getting healthier. I want to feel good and prevent chronic diseases. Well, the good news is that there are really a handful of things you need to do to accomplish that. And it's not that much. So I think it's, you know, it's, we bring the good news with this article in terms of achieving your health goals. Yeah. But I I know there was also a flip side, which is, uh, I think you brought it up the other night, Ryan. There are some people though who come in and assume that there's a like little baby changes will make massive changes for them. So, I mean, what is that like? They see uh, someone on the cover of a fitness magazine, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I want to do that." And then what happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mismatch between uh, expectations and what they're willing to do. So they say, yeah, they bring in a picture and I want to look like this person. You say, okay, great. And then you talk about, all right, so what are you willing to change right now? And they're not willing to change much. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll switch uh, to reduce fat tortilla chips or (laughs) (laughs) a lower net carb bread or something. Oh, okay. And that'll get me to this picture, right? No, 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 no. Yeah. You need to do some other things to, to get your body to look like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I always thought of this discussion from the other perspective, but it is really interesting that you can have people who live in the same culture, maybe they're neighbors, maybe they're the same age, and they have the two extreme opposite uh, sets of, um, I don't know, sort of outlook on fitness. One says, oh my gosh, to get even a little bit fit, it takes so much. I can never do it. And the other says, oh, I want to look like the cover of the thing, you know, and uh, yeah, I'll just do some cutbacks and it'll be good, right? So, I don't know, this this always drives me back to the same thing we always talk about, which is life lived on a continuum, you know, life lived on this spectrum, right? Like, you could get healthier and that's, I don't know, pretty easy in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have the right advice, I won't say it's easy for everyone, because if you have the wrong advice, it's not easy at all. The right advice is pretty easy, um, but going to the, all the way the other end of the spectrum is pretty hard, and so you almost have to like spend some minutes to figure out where you are on this spectrum. Well, first of all, I have to learn, hey, there is a spectrum, and then where do I live on it? Okay, and then moving a little on it's not too bad. Moving a lot on it's kind of hard. So I don't know. For everyone listening in, I'd say go look at that article, right? Because <laughs> we actually outline the spectrum. We even have like an artist draw the different body fat percentages. Uh, at each range and say what it takes to get to the next one and and that's why I don't know the thing ran in November and it's had like 
3 million visitors and 500,000 Facebook shares because I, for some reason it resonated, right? Even among the people who thought we were idiots, um, <laughs> they shared it too. You know, and I saw plenty of those. They were like, no, it's not that hard to get to 6% body fat. You say you have to work out six days a week. I only work out five days. And, <laughs> and well, I do those optional workouts on the weekends. But, you know, even they, they even got a little upset about it but shared it because I think it, it spoke to a particular truth that I think was interesting, you know. And um, I don't know. I mean, but that's that's the change part, right? But part of your question was the maintenance part, right? And for me, what's always fascinating there is like, so... So what, I mean, we're talking about, hey, you should live most of your life in maintenance. Look at the fitness industry, though. Mm. What's most of the information? Mm. Change. Change. It's all like, you know, go pick up magazines. Like, I, I'd love to have a grad student do this as their, like, master's thesis. Like, look at the ratio of change information and fitness and health to maintenance information. I don't know what it is. 100 to 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. I have no idea, but I suspect it would be very heavily weighted towards change and very lightly weighted toward maintenance. And we get what we get from it, right? Chronic, I don't know, being on the wagon and off the wagon. So, like, what would you guys say? Uh, so let's change that right now. Like, let's talk about it a little bit. We're going to skew the ratio to uh, 100 to 2. Um <laughs> So what, what do you do? Like, uh, okay, I lost weight, I got PN coaching, I did something. Involved the cabbage diet and whatever, right? So what comes next? Like, I, I want to spend the next 65 years in maintenance mode. First of all, don't go back to doing what you were <laughs> before you made your, your weight loss change or your weight gain change or whatever. Yeah, what surprises me about maintenance is actually how... Uh, I need to be careful with the word I use, but... It's easier, it's much easier than actively changing your body. Mm -hmm. So I think Pete, that's good news. If you're, if you've, you have the body you want and you want to maintain it, the good news is it's going to be easier than what you were just doing. So I like to tell people to kind of look at what they're doing and slowly scale things back. Like what's the thing you might, you really miss from how you used to live? What's the thing that really, you know, drags you down? It feels like a grind and it feels like a real chore every day. It feels like you're changing. Can you scale that back a little bit so it doesn't feel quite as tedious every day? Whether that's a physical activity component, a food component, anything anything to make it feel more sustainable. Like, oh yeah, this feels good. No problem. I can do this for many years. I can see myself doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So Ryan Andrews says it's easy to make <laughs> That's why I got out of it. No, <laughs> no, but I like that, right? Because... Uh, I've, I've often said that people assume that it's going to be harder than it is, but they think that it'll be shorter than it really takes, mm -hmm. right? So, so they assume it's going to be harder, but they also assume it's not going to take very long. And it feels like it's almost always the opposite. Right. It's not going to be as hard as you think, but it's going to take much longer than you think, mm -hmm. you know? And... Um, and that's, that's really what I often get out of it. So it is kind of easy, but it's easy from a certain lens, right? It's easy from a I don't have to be hungry all the time lens. And I don't have to exercise to the exclusion of other things in my life lens. Um, but it, A, takes longer to figure out what maintenance is for you, right? So you may actually gain a bunch of weight in the early phase of maintenance. And you're like, oh, what the hell, Ryan said it was easy. I thought of doing it easy and it's whatever. Um, 
So it might take longer to figure it out, you know? And the one thing that I always find is, like, maintenance requires, like, a low level of attentiveness mm. that's always playing in your mind, right? Like, you can't ever not be attentive to it. And I'm sorry, it's... For some people, that's bad news. The good news is it's not particularly hard, and it's not all-out focus. But you can't just ever not attend to it, right? You can't just say, oh, now I'm at my goal weight. I'm not going to pay attention to what I do anymore, mm. you know? And that low-level attentiveness, like maybe before you ever got into health and fitness, that attentiveness to health and fitness things was zero. You know, dialing it up to three chronically is a new thing to learn, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Brian. What do you what do you think about when we talk about stuff like this? No, I think that's exactly it. And Ryan kind of touched on it, but it it can be a bit of a slippery slope, right? Like it's it's easy, but if you view it as being too easy, you can tend to trend back like to the way you where you came from, right? Like Ryan was talking about with incorporating habits that you had previously let go that you've been following before. Like uh, what? Like what might maybe that would be for some people? Um, that could be something as simple as like. You know, monitoring your portions, for example. Like, you don't have to be a Nazi about it, but using our hand-sized portion guidelines that we always talk about, you know, if you're relatively diligent about that during your, like, change process, it can be incredibly helpful and beneficial. But that doesn't mean you just let it go once you're maintaining, right? You can still use it to ballpark and make sure that you're still within, within reason. You can be a little bit more, have a little bit more leeway, right? Because you're not actively trying to get somewhere. You're already there. Now you can just keep it within a plus or minus range, whatever you're comfortable with, but it's still incredibly helpful and you don't let those things go like you had talked about. You still keep it, there's still some level of attentiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can do a few things a little bit differently. Maybe you have an extra piece of dessert every now and then than you were having before, or the occasional Coke, right? Like the kind of thing that you might not have done when you were trying to lose. Like cocaine? Coca-Cola, right? I never know what Brian gets up to when I'm not yeah, around. Well, let's not start any rumors there, huh? <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think with maintenance, it often comes down to, like, just being mindful to a degree, right, without being over-the-top mindful and having to basically have fitness or nutrition or the cognization of being fitness and nutrition running your life. Mm -hmm. It's now just something, like you, you've talked about in the past, so you put things on burners, right? Mm -hmm. When you're trying to lose, your nutrition's on the big burner. It's a big, big part of your life. But once you go to maintenance, you don't just turn the burner off. Mm -hmm. right? You just slide that pan to the back burner, and it's just on the, on a simmer rather than on, like, the high heat. So mm -hmm. it's still there. It's still going. It's still being utilized. You still got to stir it once still, in a while. You still got to yeah. stir it once in a while. Keep an eye on it. Make sure it doesn't burn, right, or go out if it's a gas grill. But um, you don't have to be constantly on top of it quite as intensely. And, like, would you guys advocate, like, an approach where, like, let's say you've changed the way you want to change, and then, like, you monitor, like, metrics, like your mm -hmm. weight or something. Like, would you monitor weight and say, all right, because I, I don't know what the prescription is for any given individual. I'll be honest, I don't even know what the prescription is for myself. Like, sometimes I do change my body weight. Like, if I'm going to play a different sport, like this last year I played football. And it's been, like, you know, two decades since I played football. And I wanted to change my body so it was ideal for that. So I changed it, and then I wanted to maintain it. But I don't know what that maintenance is going to be like as like a 40-year-old man with a family and work responsibilities and all the physiology that comes with that. So I still have to pay attention, right? So And, and so I, if I don't even know for me, because all the changing conditions in my life, I don't know for any client with 100% certainty. Sure. 
So how would you, like in science, we call it titration, right? So you have a solution, you put a little bit of this in, a high pH, you put a little of this in, low pH until you get the ideal mix, right? You have to, but you have to pour a little of each and go back and forth. So how would you guys figure that titration out, right? Would you weigh in? Would you use, I don't know, what, in the mirror or what? Well, I, I think first off you have to define, that person has to define what maintenance is for them. Is it... Uh, a certain body weight, plus or minus, you know, five pounds, a certain body fat percentage, a certain feeling, you know, they have energy or they don't have an injury, uh, they perform at a certain level, they lift a certain amount of weight. So they have to first define what maintenance is to them. And in terms of measures, I, I think people get sick of me saying this, but you have to use measures that work to your advantage. Uh, if you find a measure useful, like body weight or body composition, skin folds, you find it useful to future decisions, use it. Awesome. If it throws you in a tailspin every time you take that measure, let's not use it anymore. <laughs> Bad idea. Pretty straightforward, right? Like, <laughs> you, you laugh, make people, me yeah. sad. <laughs> well, stop being sad, right? Yes. It, throw, it throws. I've seen measures throw a lot of people in a tailspin, mm-hmm. not not in a good way. So uh, yeah, you got to use measures that work to your advantage. And like, and I presumably there are right. Like, I don't know. What if, what if the scale and skin folds make me feel sad? Like, what might I choose instead if maintaining a lower body weight is my goal or something like that? Well, uh, I mean, you can go with one of the responses you hear that uh, I get tired of hearing, but it actually can be a useful gauge is um, how clothes are fitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's kind of it's something like you read in you know some, like top ten list of prevention magazine, but uh, there's something to it. How clothes are fitting, uh, and I'm a big fan of how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I I guess I've never been. I never had obesity or struggled with obesity, but I have an idea of when uh, I'm gaining weight and when I'm mm-hmm. losing weight. Yeah, I can kind of feel it. I kind of see it. Things are a little bit out of sorts. So I'm pretty tuned into my body, mm-hmm. though not everybody is. So, mm. like, what about the Hot or Not website? Is that what that <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of these like ways, like for other yeah. people to help know if that. It's probably not a great idea. <laughs> if you're listening, don't do the Hot or Not website. I don't recommend it. But anyway, just just. But you're. I like the point, Ryan. It's like, how do you, how do you figure out if you're in the range, right? And you don't use measures that make you feel sad. So, but there's probably unlimited measures. Like you could use yeah. girths, you could use clothes or fitting, you could use a whole bunch of other stuff, really. Belt loops. Belt loops. Yeah, yeah. That's one a lot of people use, right? right? Uh, men in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Bri? Like, I think Ryan covered a lot of it, but I think in some ways it's also important to keep in mind, like, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, JB, that what your maintenance is like will change over time right mm-hmm. like what your maintenance is as a 25 year old man versus you know if you're single and you're just working you have your first like real job out of school and everything it's gonna be very different than what your maintenance might be when you're 40 and you have kids and you're at a different point in your career um you know your values change and so your your maintenance might change or you start a new sport or you decide you want to put on some muscle and you want to maintain that muscle like there it's okay to recognize that change is actually a part of maintenance oftentimes you might maintain for 65 years, but it might not be the exact thing you maintained for 65 years, you know? Well, that... All right. So how, how'd that work for you guys? I, I like making things really concrete and tangible. Um, you know, for those listening in, I, I know 
Brian and Ryan. We worked together a long time. I know their backgrounds. And, you know, these were guys who, like, took strength and muscle seriously when they were young men, right? Uh, Brian did it for, for rugby. Ryan did it for bodybuilding. I was in the same boat. I, I played football, and, and I, I was bodybuilding and powerlifting. And um, for both of you, it's changed. Like, we don't have pose downs when we get together. <laughs> uh, we don't see who can knock the other guy off his feet very often. Um, so, obviously, some of the criteria have, are different. Mm. What was it for you guys that made you accept? Because I feel like it's such a critical point that you make, Brian. The idea that as you get older, if you steadfastly remain committed to values and criterion that you had when you were younger, it might start sucking for you pretty fast, right? So so what was it for you? I mean, I think it was, it was a combination of a lot of things, right? It didn't just happen. There was no aha moment, I would say. But um, like you said, I, was, I mean, I spent eight years probably, seven years, like actively trying to get bigger and stronger for various sports. In high school, it was, it was hockey and lacrosse and I would always try to get a little smaller for soccer season, but I'd try to get bigger for the other ones. And in college, it became junior hockey and then rugby. So I was always actively trying to grow for sports for a long period of time and get as big and strong and powerful as I could. And then once those things stopped, I no longer had like a really strong impetus to like keep growing. And I was already pretty much as big as I was going to get mm -hmm. you know, at my frame and my size. And then I was just training to be like strong. I was at Cressy Performance. Uh, lifting heavy, considered even dappling in, in powerlifting a little bit. Ultimately, so Cressy Performance, just for people who don't know what that is, it's uh, like a high-level training facility. It's actually starting now, Cressy Sports Performance, um, in in Massachusetts and in Florida. We train lots of athletes and uh, regular people, you know, everyday yeah. folks as well. But um, yeah. very focused on strength and power. Um, and so when I worked there, especially the staff, we were all into, you know, challenging each other and strength measures and. You know, Eric always threw down the gauntlet on who could try to touch any of his, his staff records on strength measures. So it was like a, a thing, and it was fun, and it, was, it, it gave us something to, to train for. Um, then once I left there, well, now I needed to find something else to train for. But I was I had gotten married. Um, I had a, a baby on the way. I was in grad school. I was in my dietetic internship. I was also working, commuting. Uh, so I had a lot, of, a lot more competing demands I'd ever had in my life before. And so training went from being on the big burner, like for years in a row, to now being on like the middle burner. And that was fine because I had other really important things that I wanted to value in my life and pay a lot of attention to. Um, so it kind of just got pulled back a little bit. And so my, I adjusted my nutrition because my, my values changed, right? When I was younger, I, I arranged my college schedule around my lifting schedule. Tell us the sex story. <laughs> no, we're not going there. Um, <laughs> Now that we have to, yeah, keep no, listening. Another time, maybe that might be. A, that's a story I'm not quite willing to share publicly. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, like the whole point being. So, is it fair to say that you forwent sex for a leg workout? This is this is fair to say. Okay, yes. so you someone um, propositioned you said, "Hey, I've got some time, and I have the inclination." And, and you I, said, I turned it down because I didn't want it to negatively impact my leg workout that day. Okay. Um, sad, sad enough to say. That would you make that decision no, today? No, not a chance in hell. <laughs> you know, my leg workout can be bumped to the next day. So you know, but back then it was like the most important thing in my life. Mm -hmm. And then I, 
my career started to, to take off and I had gotten married and I was starting a family. So those other things started to come more to the forefront of my life. And so that, and that kind of happened over the course of a few years, right? And so slowly over time, like my training is still important to me, but it no longer defines mm-hmm. who I am. It's not, it's just one of my identities, like leading a fit and healthy life, as well as being a father and being a good, a good husband and, and being a good son. And like, there are many other things that as I've gotten older, I've become more aware of and have just become more important to me. Um, and it's still important for me to be fit and healthy, but it's just now like a part of who I am rather than the whole of who I was, like it was for a long time. Yet it's still possible to prioritize health. Absolutely. Look good enough so that people might want to have sex with you still, <laughs> <laughs> even though you, you right. not skip Look good day. enough so when I, when I yeah. go somewhere and give a presentation, I look like I can represent the industry and not make a fool of myself. Right, right. exactly. So really, I mean, the changing priorities didn't necessarily in a major way negatively impact no, your no, health or your physique um, but your 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 uh, levels of what was okay what was acceptable and your parameters changed a little bit absolutely right your your maintenance expectations what what did it for you Ryan? like Brian said I mean a, a lot of things happened to shift what maintenance was for me. I'm a very values-driven person, so when I was competing in bodybuilding, my number one value was bodybuilding. I wanted to be the best collegiate bodybuilder in the United States, so my choices every day match that, you know? That's, I, everything was on the outskirts, and I prioritized training, meals, sleep, tanning, (laughs) (laughs) posing, buying my posing trunks, Uh, but and that was great. It made sense for me at the time. And it, if tomorrow I started living like that, it, it, w- it there would be a values conflict. It wouldn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. So values change. I still have a level of prioritization and value in my own health and how I feel and my energy and my health markers and my body composition. And it it matches up with what I value. I, ex- I look how I would expect to look based on how I'm living. I'm not like, oh, why aren't my arms 20 inches? Yeah. Uh, because I don't live and train that way. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, it's not something I value right now. So, yeah, it's it's been a long process of redefining what maintenance is. But it's nice when you find what it is and you're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like, I mean, for both of you, still part of your key value sets is health, fitness, and even, even looking a specific way. Like, I know that... Some people tie that in with vanity or whatever, but I'm never afraid to admit. I like I, I actually want to look like I spend four or five hours a week exercising. Uh, I it's part of my value set. It, it fits in there, but I also have a family and I also have a business and there's work that I do and I love doing and I think is important in the world and I want them all to coexist and it gets complicated, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes it gets complicated trying to figure out how to do it all. But I think uh, you know the three of us are, are sort of examples of the that you can balance those things in some ways in fact everyone at precision nutrition is like that you know every i'm fascinated every single person we work with finds a way to navigate this thing right and they have all kinds of different lifestyles and they they figure out a way to navigate this while still committing to health and and movement well so that brings up the issue of time i mean a question i get all the time from people is you know, I work, I have a family, I'm in a relationship, I'm going to school, whatever it is. How do I find time to eat healthy foods? How do I find time to have a plate of healthy food, nutritious food in front of me and eat it? How do I find time to stay physically active? When I hear that question, 
I have some mixed thoughts. Do you guys, does it tell you anything about kind of where that person's coming from? I mean, we all have 168 hours in a week, right? Presidents, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. CEOs, people that don't have jobs. We all right. have the same time. So how can we find the time to eat a nutritious diet and exercise? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it raises a couple different questions because I could give you like some surface level answers, yeah. right? Like, oh, if you prep food ahead of time or right. if you, you know, buy in bulk or if you use the crock pot, right? There are, there are yeah, lots there's of like strategies. Right, yeah. right. You know, exactly. Surface level strategies. But oftentimes it, what it really comes down to is, and I think you, you talked about a lot, Rise, what do you value more? Like, do I value having healthy meals more than watching a little TV at night or whatever the, whatever else is coming between you and taking the time to do certain things that seem to be important to you. Maybe you just want them to be important to you. You need to kind of, I think, oftentimes sit down and reflect on like, okay, these are the things I say I want to do and these are the things that are required to do it. Something else is going to have to change because I only have 168 hours and I'm filling them up somehow mm-hmm. now with my current lifestyle. So you can't just put new things in there, right? Like, if it's already full, you can't just mm-hmm. overfill. Something else has yeah, to come out. Take something away. Right. To put, yeah. And that's just that's just the nature of the beast. And that's just, you know, that you have to be okay with that. And if you're not mm-hmm. okay with that, well, then that might explain why you haven't yet found the time. Um, maybe you just haven't thought of it that way. And if you think about it that way, you might find things that you're willing to pull out or to replace with some of those mm-hmm. surface-level strategies, right? But you're never going to employ those strategies if you don't take something else out that you can now fill in with those other that other time i I think the fitness industry is brutal sometimes because there's a this this always leads to like the the hardline fitness industry perspective which is well if you wanted it badly enough you just do it Mm -hmm. right and like okay i guess it's a little it's a little black and white right and also part and parcel with that assumption is that what people are doing instead of prepping healthy meals or going to the gym is just wasting time, mm-hmm. right? It's like the cliched stereotype, like, ah, oh, you're just watching TV, surfing the internet, reading your friend's Facebook free- feeds or whatever. And maybe you're doing some of that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. But I don't want to make the assumption that, like, intelligent high-functioning adults are just sitting around wasting vast quantities of their life on pointless activities uh, when they could be doing this amazing thing instead. I think that's unfair. And quite frankly, it's like a lame cop-out, right? From the fitness industry. It's a cop-out. Instead of actually listening and finding out what is getting in the way for people, they just assume you're just doing dumb shit, you know? You're just doing dumb stuff. Stop the dumb stuff and do this better stuff instead. And I, and I, I, I um, as I get older, I take great ex- exception to that because I sometimes can't find the time. You know, my, my classic story is like when my wife and I were renovating a home. This was a few years ago. And we, we bought this new property. Uh, we had sold our previous place, so we didn't have anywhere to live while we were doing this. So we moved in with her parents. So we're living with my wife's parents. It's two hours away from the house that we're renovating. You know, I'm, I'm still running and growing PN. It's the early days of precision nutrition. But at the end of the workday, uh, we're driving two hours to the house to get some work done and then two hours home. But I had no idea when I was going to work out, you know? And I had no idea when I was going to 
cook three healthy meals a day or whatever on my own. And so I, um, I actually needed coaching. I was like, I, I'm, I know my stuff, but I'm at a loss here. Someone needs to help me. I'm new to all this overwhelmed thing. And so um, I, I had someone design for me. So here's my criteria. Here's the amount of time I have. I have about 15 minutes after I wake up in the morning before I go to the bathroom and start my morning you know, self-care <laughs> ritual, have breakfast and start my day. So can you dev- design a workout for me that requires me not to go to the gym, that I could step right out of bed and do in like 15 or 20 or whatever minutes on my way to the bathroom to start the day that's going to be a crazy busy day until I fall down in bed at night. So it was my workout routine. Like three or four days a week, I did this little body weight circuit next to my bed after my feet hit the floor. Now, I, when I w- if you'd have told me when I was younger that that was going to be like my exercise fate when I get older, I would have thought you were crazy or I would have thought like, man, shoot that guy in the head because whatever, like he's not committed. But here's the crazy part. I didn't actually lose any fitness. Like I maintained very well during that time. And then food-wise, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes my wife and I would stop and get like mixed nuts, beef jerky, and an apple from the convenience store on the way home from the house because the restaurants were all closed and it was late at night. Um, Was it perfect, ideal? No. But there was a time in my life where I I did not watch TV. (laughs) You know, I wasn't on Facebook. I was doing some stuff that was super important to me. So... That was that's my example of a busy time, and obviously it's it's that was my first brush with this, and I've had many more since. You know, um, when my my second son was born, um, he was born really premature, and he had to be born in a special hospital that was far from our house, and we had to go every feeding like to help feed him, and uh, so Amanda and I would drive like four or five times a day, thirty minutes to the hospital and back. Uh, just to take care of our, our new infant son. And uh, yeah, the, sorry, there wasn't much time to hit the gym, right? But we found these little ways. I remember we'd like, we're in like the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, like in the corner or somewhere, like doing air squats to just like get our mind off uh, what our little boy was going through and try and move. Like, so this, it's, it's like some sanity for us, but it's also some fitness, you know? So, you know, I, I think that. To your question, right? When when people say, "I, I, how do you find the time?" You know, there there certainly is time. You could probably take fifteen minutes to work out in a day, you know. But they perceive it as something so much harder and so much more. Like it would be impossible for me to take an hour to work out and half an hour to change and shower and commute and all that stuff. And I agree. There's been times in my life where that would have been absolutely impossible. But that's not what fitness actually requires, right? It requires something much, much less, quite possibly. And so I actually feel a tremendous amount of empathy for people who don't know that. Like, they don't know that that's possible, and they don't... If they did know it was possible, they wouldn't know how to begin. Like, what would that little workout look like next to my bed for 15 minutes? So it kind of makes me a little sad when I hear that, because I'm like, oh, uh, you don't know what's possible, and you don't... Um, and if you did, you still wouldn't be able to do it without some help. It also makes me feel quite optimistic because we, we've built a company to help. So. so another thing I'm curious about, we talk a lot about limiting factors. Like anybody who knows about PN is probably familiar with that phrase, limiting factors. 
It's basically the factors that hold someone back from where they want to be. Based on all of your work with clients, and really my favorite thing, just observing society in general, <laughs> my free time, what would you say are some of the most common limiting factors that you see over and over again? And do you have any ideas on maybe how to overcome them? And these can, I mean, with limiting factors, you can be very specific, you know, certain types of vegetables and portions, or oh. you can be very broad. Uh, with you know identity and, and values and things like that, but uh, what do you guys think with common limiting factors? Mm. One of my favorite ones to to touch on, and you'll see this a lot whenever you read my articles on PN, is the the theme of consistency. Right, I know a lot of people who will follow a perfect plan like intensely for a short period of time, and then it just almost completely goes away. Right, so they'll they'll focus so much on perfection rather than just doing something pretty well the majority of the time so it's it's what you do it's a lack of consistency right like over a long period of time just like jb mentioned earlier it's generally almost always easier than you think but it takes far longer than you think and so people have this mindset like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna start doing paleo right and they go at it like hardcore and it's a huge change and overhaul to their life they have to do all these new things and take all this new time to learn these things and they'll do it really well for a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever. And then things start to slip because they start renovating a house or they have, they have a child that's born or any number of things can come Someone up. Someone invites them to a dinner. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, they go to a social event where there's nothing paleo approved, right? And now it's like a, an anxiety-ridden experience rather than a, a, a fun experience with friends where you can enjoy it. And so that, that leads to this whole spiral away from what they were just doing. When instead, oftentimes, what we always talk about is doing a following a good plan consistently trumps following a perfect plan intermittently. And I see a lot of people follow perfect plans, whether it's the perfect physiological plan for them or whatever the case may be, intermittently, and then going to that pattern of losing and then coming back up and losing and coming back up when it's the 80% consistency. or now you, There's various numbers you could throw out there for whatever level you want to be at that'll help you get where you want to go You know, without having to dominate your life to the to the degree where you have to be have to have perfection, right? And it's that ex- expectation of perfection that I think is in many for, for many people their biggest limiting factor. Um, you know, I mean, we've talked about this. I, I love this idea of talking about perfection and the good plan followed routinely, consistently. Um, and I've heard it talked a lot. You know, we've talked about this a lot at PN. And um, one thing that always like. It never really occurred to me, but I was at a seminar recently, um, and there's a, a speaker that I, I really love. She studies like change and behavior psychology. Uh, her name's Kelly McGonigal, and she's an incredible speaker. You guys, if you're listening, go watch one of her TED Talks. Uh, we speak together at events all the time, and I, I, t- I told her at the last event, I was like, one thing that makes me sad, Kelly, when I watch you speak, and I'm proud of you, and I think you're amazing, and I think you're one of the best speakers I've ever seen, is that I think I'm a pretty decent speaker, but I will never be as good as you. Like, I'm unwilling to do what it takes to be as good as you, but I just kind of wish it was bestowed upon me because I love to watch it happen. So anyway, Kelly, in one of her talks, was like, you know, she talks about how in fitness in general and in change in general, we always talk about doing s- simple changes, small changes, whatever. 
and how it's actually patronizing. It feels patronizing. And anyone listening, think think if this resonates with you. If someone says, "Well, hey, listen," you know, they won't say it in these words, but you're a flawed human being. We know that. <laughs> You'll never be perfect, no matter how hard you try. So, since all you can handle is this little baby thing, we'll just give you the baby things one after another. It's insulting, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a grown ass adult. It insults me if someone were to say that to me, right? And not because I I think I'm perfect, but because I think I'm better than a little baby thing, you know. <laughs> and um, so I always love the this notion. Like, so for Kelly, she 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 looks at what behaviors are just manageable within the context of a normal human life, but impactful, like make a real difference, right? Because that's what I'm actually going for. I like to call it strategic, right? Look for things that are strategic.、Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be small or not, right? Whatever you can accommodate right now. Maybe in your life you can accommodate bigger than small, but they have to be strategic. Which is the idea of limiting factors. Like, what's the thing that's holding you back? Do the one habit that fixes that particular thing. Like a surgeon wouldn't just start open you up, open you up, and try and like tweak everything. No, they fix your ACL if it's busted, right? It's just very strategic.、Um, so I, I love that idea of consistency, but I really like framing it as you know, pick things that are strategic. And one of the other things I love about that, you talk about this all the time, Ryan. And again, I, I kind of learned this from you.、Um, and I heard it before, and I may have even said it before, but I don't know if I really believed it until you talked about it a lot. You know, and it was this idea that like. Most people already know what that strategic thing is. I'd love for you to expand upon that. Actually, right now, it's a little off topic, but like, what does that mean? Like, because I, I know a lot of people in fitness don't believe you, and I know a lot of people trying to get help don't believe you. Because if I already knew what to do, dude, I wouldn't be listening to you right now, right? So, t- tell me about that. <laughs> I think a lot of people have nutrition amnesia, but When they are able to work with a coach and they're asked the appropriate question, they can quickly discover what they're doing with their own nutrition and their own life that's holding them back. So, what's nutrition amnesia for you? <laughs> so, that's I mean, that's the whole idea of when you when you're sitting there thinking like, gosh, you know, why don't I have the body and the health I want? I can't think of anything. Like, <laughs> I, I'm doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Know, Yesterday I had some like that salad and yeah, yeah. I had some protein and、right. gosh I can't think of anything like、right. everything looks pretty much on point of what it's supposed to be like.、Right. So we when we're reflecting when we when we're simply reflecting on our own nutrition I think we're quick to forget about our faults. But like one of my favorite questions to go through with clients, I say, all right, imagine that a documentary film crew was following you around. Twenty-four-seven,、mm-hmm. filming everything you did、mm-hmm. for the last month, last two months. Now tonight we're going to sit down and review that footage. Right. What do you think is going to stand out?、Mm. So kind of stepping back, getting outside of themselves,、yeah. and thinking, oh yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that's. So basically, I think a lot of people have an idea of. What they're doing that they could modify for the better, like what、mm. their limiting factor is that they could improve on, because if, if a coach just comes in and says, "Hey, you need to eat more vegetables," they might be eating ten servings of vegetables per day. That、mm-hmm. is not their limiting factor. Right. Quit drinking soda. They don't drink soda.、Mm-hmm. That's not their limiting factor. So, being strategic with、mm-hmm. finding the limiting factor 
is crucial, but oftentimes I think it's the person themselves mm-hmm. that they have an idea yeah. of what it might be. So I love that. I love the. You know, I love it because when you said it, I like. I started to feel a little panicky myself. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I thought about all the things that I like, like the documentary crew not to see. The extra uh, scoops of peanut butter that I do. <laughs> right. You know, we all have something. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've often thought about this as well. Like, I used to think like people overcount the number of healthy behaviors they did and undercount the number of mm. whatever questionable behaviors. So you're like, oh well, I I rarely ever eat ice cream every night. <laughs> I eat a lot of vegetables. Sometimes with lunch, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you kind of overcount the things that you feel proud of. And it's human nature. This isn't like people being dumb or lazy or whatever. That's why I think sometimes people don't give themselves enough credit. And it's one of the things when we talk about compassion at PA, and I don't know that the word always resonates with me. It feels a little bit like, I don't know, I'm getting a talk from the Dalai Lama here. And But, but that's what it is. It's saying like, you will overcount your good things. You will undercount your bad things. You will. You don't want to, but it doesn't make you a bad person. Be compassionate with yourself because that's how persons are. Right? It's human nature. It's, it's what's cute about us and also flawed and also awesome because if we're all perfect, I, you guys probably wouldn't be that fun to be around and I couldn't make fun of you so much when we <laughs> break each other's balls. You know? So um, I, I love that idea that like, you will undercount. You will overcount. You'll make all these classic thinking errors, and it's okay. Just know that it's going to happen in advance, so that you can roll with it. You know. Um, but back to like limiting factors. I know I, Brian's is great. Consistency is is a big one for a lot of people, and there's probably sub limiting factors there, like mm-hmm. what's preventing the consistency. What about for you? I mean, Ryan, of the three of us, you've probably coached more total clients. What, what sticks out for you? Yeah, I think I, I, I try to think about this a lot because uh, I, I, I get this question quite often and I've worked, like you said, with a lot of clients. And I think that the most consistent limiting factor that I've seen over the past several years, it, it, it's kind of what Brian said. It has to do with consistency, but it's uh, nighttime and weekend eating. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know exactly what it is about those times or what's different about those times, but that seems those seem to be the key chunks of time where eating uh, goes a little bit off course for most people. Has it ever happened for you guys? On the weekends, it, it certainly can, right? Yeah. I have to eat more on the weekends or I go see friends on the weekends where I didn't necessarily pick what food is available. Right, right. Um, so I think definitely, but I already know that going in, so I kind yeah. of account for it. You know? Yeah. How about for you, Ry? Is it ever an issue for you? Yeah. It, if things take a turn off of off of course, it's usually nighttime or weekends. Yeah. And I don't know if it's simply easier to justify it to yourself at yeah. that time, uh, or if it's something with the moons or <laughs> the stars. But I mean, if. When you're really just breaking, you know, if you're using a documentary or film crew thing or whatever, just reflecting on your own eating, a lot of time, those are the chunks of time mm-hmm. where the eating seems to go a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that seems to be one of the biggest limiting factors that I've observed. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll readily admit it's true for me. And, and the thing that gets me always is ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 
I sometimes wonder, like, I've heard people tell me they don't like ice cream. <laughs> I think they must be lying, right? Because there's something about ice cream that's a, whatever people call trigger food or whatever, but I don't even want to label it with a bad name because I like it. Right. It tastes so good to me. So, and uh, if there's ice cream in the house and it's night and everyone's in bed and I've eaten my good dinner, I've had a workout... Um, like I almost have to put myself in a straight jacket to not have a little bit. You know what I mean? So like it happens to me. I, I, I know it happens now. I have, so there's a couple ways I deal with it. Um, one is to not have it in the house. The other is to eat all the ice cream at that one moment <laughs> so that there's none for tomorrow. <laughs> That's like my least favorite one, but actually it's mixed. I'm ambivalent because it tastes so good. I sometimes wonder how people like, don't think like the whole container is one serving because that's what it seems like to me but uh, yeah I mean I struggle with this just like everyone else will and and so I agree like nighttime uh, for me even right Um, sometimes I I battle with that so like how do you deal with that I mean let's say it's your thing you know I think fix me fix me yeah yeah I mean like you said I think there's kind of like some surface level type strategies and then maybe some deeper strategies to get into so what are some like hacks like so how, how might I the most, like, the low-hanging fruit is if you can simply restructure your kitchen to where you can make the healthiest choice, the easiest choice in the evenings yeah. and on the weekends to where so it's what would not... that be like? I have to, like, lock up my freezer or, <laughs> or something or what? Well, whether it's, I mean, not keeping certain... If you know that certain foods tend to get you off track, you eat more than you should, they yeah. bring a lot of internal dialogue into play, and they're just... It's the food's on your mind more than you want it to be on your. That's mind. what gets me the internal dialogue. Really, I'm thinking about the ice cream, and yeah. I go, "No, I shouldn't have." Like honestly, you don't really need any more ice cream. You're like, "But it's so good," <laughs> right. you know. And you just sit there for like ten minutes. Yeah, it's a back and forth, like and wrestling. The, and I, my stomach's in a knot. It's weird. It sounds so dramatic, but and the tension's building. Yeah, when you're having that dialogue, and the only way to relieve the tension is to make a decision. Yeah, to have the ice cream or to not have the ice cream. And yeah, and usually for me anyway. I either have to go to bed. Like, uh, if I stay awake, I'm, like, going to eat it for sure. Even though how many times I tell myself I won't. Uh, so I either go to bed or I eat the rest. Yeah. That's the- I, I remember one of my clients, we were talking all about his kitchen setup. And he's like, Ryan, I think I, I'm just going to bed too late. Like, I, if I just go to bed at 10 o'clock instead of midnight, I don't have that two-hour nighttime period where all my eating goes yeah. is falls into shambles you know it's yeah. like I just, i'm sleeping instead where I'll, when i make my my errors well one thing krista scott dixon uh talked to me about it was in the context of like our level two coaching program but it was um this idea like what what is it what is she called the bumblebee path or whatever what's it called the bumblebee thing or bumblebee path um or i don't know there's I know there's some, there, I'm going to uh, totally butcher this because uh, I, I learned it once. But yeah, there, uh, it's it's this idea that there's like bees and I, I don't know if it's other insects or uh, other animals in nature. They have these like well-worn paths that they fly or mm-hmm. run or whatever the case may be. And um, the paths dictate your behavior. You don't, it's not conscious. You don't think about it. And so like the challenge was to think about what yours are. And I found out that this, I have a very specific nighttime path. So once we put the kids to bed, I go down and work out in our home gym. And then I come back upstairs, I start dinner, and then I go have a shower. And what I do is I, I, when my dinner's ready, I'll sit at our breakfast buffet. You know, like 
I usually will eat my other meals at like the table, but my nighttime meals are in this one place. And then before I know it, I eat the meal and then I go, hmm, maybe I'll have a little snack or dessert or something. And I walk the same pattern. Like I walk to the fridge, I open the fridge. I look in there. Then I open the freezer. Then I open our carb drawer because we have a little carb drawer, right? Then I go back into the pantry and I look in the pantry and see what's there. And I'm not choosing to do any of this. It's like there's footsteps in my kitchen already and my feet are just going into the well-worn footsteps. And then I decide what I'm going to have. And it's usually not like broccoli, <laughs> you know what I mean? Florets are dipped in hummus, you know? It's usually there's some chocolate up there and then there's no, there's no ice cream. That's okay. I'll dip it in peanut butter, whatever. And it's like this subconscious path, like you've walked it a million times. So like the, the presumption was that if you break the path, like now you have a fresh start. So all I did was I sat at the kitchen table to eat my nighttime meal. And people like if you're if you're a skeptical person, you'll you'll think I'm just like full of crap here. But honestly, it made a humongous difference for me. I'd eat my meal at the table, not at the breakfast bar, and the whole chain was broken. And I would eat less of the the things I probably didn't want to anyway, although I wanted to, but I didn't, you know. So that's that's like one example of this, right? Well, Pete, I think whenever I have clients who are going on vacation and they get out of their routine, I think it's a great time to observe things like that. They'll yes. say, "Wow." Yeah, it was, I wasn't in my nightly kind of routine that I'm always in, and I noticed this. You know, I didn't go to the freezer because we were in a hotel, or yeah. I did this. So it's a good time to kind of reflect on those. Mm. Well, one of my favorites was this thing, like, um, you know, I, I, uh, I used to use, like, powdered creatine, right, in my green tea every morning. So I would add, like, a teaspoon of creatine into my green tea. So I'd boil the water, pour the water, steep the tea bag reach up, grab my creatine, get my scoop and put it in. I'm detailing this in painstaking detail because there's a point, right? And so I remember uh, this one time, it's when I first started noticing this in general about my life, these little patterns you fall into. And so I, um, I ran out of the creatine. And so literally for three days in a row, I would do the exact steps in the pathway and I would reach for an invisible bottle of creatine. It's no longer there. I would literally like fan on it. I'd be like, whoa, it's not there, you know? And um, it's like it, like it like disintegrated, you know, vaporized before my eyes. And there was no creatine there. And I'm like, oh, what weird. Like, look at the, how patterned this is. I, well, I'm not thinking about creatine. I, I actually am not even looking. I just grab an empty, a, a nothingness that used to be a bottle. But it works the other way too. If I go too long without replenishing the bottle, then I stop reaching for the creatine. And then when there is creatine there, I don't even put it in my drink. So amazing how our brains pick up these patterns, right? Mm. And I don't know, it feels like to me the take home message, uh, part of it is, isn't necessarily tell me the strategy. It's, can you look at your life in a new way, knowing this new information, knowing that you're such a pattern driven person Knowing that all the behaviors that you probably do that maybe that you might not be proud of showing in a documentary film are probably based on patterns that led to that thing, and it's very subconscious. I don't know, what are, what are your strategies, Brian, Ryan, for like even starting the process of paying attention? Because you could say, well, pay attention to your life, period, <laughs> you know? But is there something else I can do like to start this process? I mean, I think a lot of times it, it comes in hindsight, right? Like, it's hard to pay attention when you're just on, on autopilot. But oftentimes it's only when you've 
gone to the end that you go, okay, well, how did I actually get here? Yeah. Right. You don't necessarily think about it like while you're doing right, it. Right. So kind of like recollect. Right. Like reverse yeah. engineering in a way. Ah, right? yeah, like, that's cool. That's probably how one of the ways I teach it is, okay, you've gotten to this point, right? You may or not even know, remember how you got here. Now we need to actually stop and think about it. Like, okay, let's try to retrace your steps. How did you get here? Oh, I came in the door this way. And I have to go through the kitchen to go see my wife or my kids. or what, You know, you have to go a certain path to go a certain way. Or you think you do. It's just the way yeah. you've always gone. And that leads you by the candy bowl or this bowl or that. Um, but you don't even think about it, right? It just happens. So we need to reverse engineer it and say, okay, how, do we, how did we come across this? How did we end mm-hmm. up with this path? Okay, we know now. We, we figured it out. We can now change it. And that, that part, the changing part, is the hardest part, right? Like mm. you were talking about, you even you knew the creatine wasn't there, right. and you were still actively reaching for it because yeah. it was just habit. So it does require a fair amount of like cognitive, like being aware of your yeah. actions. So you come in the door, and you have to stop yourself from following cruise mm-hmm. control, right? Okay, I'm going to hang my jacket up a different way, or I'm going to go into the a kitchen a different way, or the house a different way. Yeah. So it requires you to to stop and to pause along the way, but you can only do that once you know mm-hmm. what your normal pattern is. Right, right. What about you, Rye? Like, how do you engineer or hack this kind of thing? You know, I th- actually think, it's like a plug for coaching. Again, I feel like I've done that a few times today. I promise. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I think when you know, when you're working with somebody, when you're troubleshooting this stuff with somebody, I think... I don't know. For me, when I know I'm going to check in with somebody about something, it's on my mind more. Mm-hmm. Hey, tomorrow I got to check in with my coach about my workout today. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about my workout. When yeah. am I going to get it in? I got to get it done. I'm checking in with somebody about what I ate. Okay, well, I'm a little more aware of it today. Yeah. So I think just knowing you're working with somebody can automatically mm-hmm. ratchet up your awareness level a little bit. Yeah. Kind of on that mm-hmm. global level. Yeah. I know a lot of people talk about like meditation as a way to do this and I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it's the same thing about using the word compassion for me. Sometimes I'm like, bah, it's pretty buzzwordy and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, but you know, I mean, what I do look at the effects of things like meditation and I'll say it that way, you know, what, I, what I've often said is it, it buys you a split second of time before you do the thing you would normally do. Right. So, it means like, let's say someone's angering you, right? They're doing a thing that makes you feel away and that makes you angry and now you're about to react to the anger, right? It buys you the extra half second to say, oh, look, I'm about to do the thing that I do when I'm angry and now you have a choice, right? When you're really, really automatic, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. It happens and you feel regret or, res- you know, and, you know, I've you know studying coaching and counseling you you end up studying all kinds of scenarios not nutrition right like everything from alcohol and drug abuse to spousal abuse and i I often think about the spousal abuse as as an example of that so in a lot of scenarios you see someone do the abusive thing and then feel tremendous regret afterwards right and so this is in no way to condone that they did the abusive thing but when you think about it, they didn't have the split second to consider whether they wanted to do it. How do you get them the split second? Mm. You know, mm. how do you get that time? Like, you don't want to reverse engineer that because right. someone has a <laughs> black eye now, right? <laughs> so how do you buy them the split second? And I've seen people do mindfulness training, mm. do you know meditation training. And again, it sounds all new agey, but when you do it, it's it's pretty incredible. It doesn't feel as weird as you thought it would feel, you know. Um, 
And again, like, you know, I talk with Kelly McGonigal about this stuff because that's what she does. She teaches people this kind of stuff. She actually has a course teaching you how to be empathetic, how to feel empathy. And the exercises are really quite amazing, you know. And um, so, you know, for me, I think it's really critical to find ways to buy yourself that split second before you reach for the ice cream or do the thing you wouldn't have been proud of. And you would have felt tremendous regret about in some cases. Um, And... You know, everyone asks, well, why didn't you just not do the thing, right? And the answer is because I didn't even know I was doing it until I was halfway through the doing, right? And that's where I think like mindfulness, meditation, awareness, whatever you want to call it. If that's a thing for, and that's only maybe sometimes one person's limiting factor, but if that's a thing for you, uh, it's this is so hopeful. There's like things you can learn to give yourself the split second to choose, you know? I love that. Ryan's looking at his question sheet right now. He's like, hmm, which one should I throw at these guys now? Okay. Uh, let's, so we were talking about limiting factors and uh, the nighttime weekend type eating. I want to expand on that, I guess, a little bit. We'll talk about cravings. Um, a common request I get from people, how can I eliminate my cravings? Mm-hmm. That, this is I, I get this question often, and and it's an expectation people have. People want to get to a point in their life where they don't crave ice cream, they don't crave whatever food mm-hmm. X. Uh, is it a realistic expectation to hope for a life that's free of food cravings? Would that be a good thing? Would that be a bad thing? Let's get <laughs> all right. Yeah, this is great. I love I love this topic. Um, uh, and, and like, but but for starters, let, let's say it's fair that people ask that question yeah. because every women's magazine you open has an article about how to kill cravings or right. uh, you know what I mean. So like, we're like the fitness industry is actually training people to believe that killing cravings is an inherently good thing and that there are strategies for doing it. Right. So I I always like to start this conversation again with compassion for people to say like I get why you might think that's a thing an important thing right every journalist is figuring out how to tell you that particular thing right so I don't blame you if you're looking for it but uh, from your tone of voice Ryan I, I you know in asking the question I'm I expect that you think it might not be a good thing to think you can kill cravings hey but I'm just yeah, uh, I'm just asking the question <laughs> I think uh yeah, like you said, I think a lot of people think they're doing something wrong if they have cravings. Right. And the biggest thing I think with, with food cravings, when I hear that question, I think, okay, so this tells me that their craving is working in a way that they're that's leading to some immoderation. It's leading to something that's kind of out of balance. And what is, what is it that they're craving? I mean, I crave a, a meal that tastes good. Yeah. So is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That's a good question, or, right? Because you because people assume crave means right, bad, right? Right. right. I also crave eating three pints of ice cream. Right. I also crave you know. There's a lot of things we crave. Right. So establishing you know is it a craving that's going to cause negative repercussions in my life? Is it something I want to eliminate? Is there a way? If it is a destructive craving, is there a way I can? Uh, manage it so it doesn't become destructive. Mm-hmm. I know in the past, JB 
somebody asked on the forums or something about yeah, I wrote about this the binge yeah. monster, and you're like, how can we prevent the binge monster from from coming out, and yeah. how can we design your life in a way where you don't have these powerful cravings that you can't control? I mean, it's like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if somebody loves chocolate well and they eat six chocolate bars once a week and mm-hmm. they feel terrible and then they go through the cycle again, can we somehow restructure their life to where yeah. they're enjoying it in a way where it doesn't build up to become this insurmountable? Well, that's the thing, right? Because like, when people ask me how do I kill cravings, I, I think you, you don't want to. Actually, I, I think you don't want to kill cravings. You know, I think that it's probably impossible to kill what is like the cornerstone for uh, your brain or your body expressing a desire or a need, right? Like, I'd hate for there to be a person out there whose body nor brain express desire, (laughs) you know what I mean? For something, for a need, right? That'd be horrible. Like, the things that you'd probably have to do to eliminate the act of craving or the thing inside you that craves would probably kill all the good things about you too. So let's not kill that, okay? Um, what, what I think you point to though is what you don't want to go away is it's not the craving that you want to go away it's the destructive behavior that is attached to it right I mean you could get all like meta evolutionary and say like there's probably a situation where cravings are actually life supporting you know what I mean where you're actually you may be craving some things that your body needs to function well um in other cases, it's a psychological thing that I don't think is any particularly less salient, right? You might be craving something that makes you feel good. Mm. I don't want to begrudge you that in any way. But what I want to do is dissociate the craving from eating six chocolate bars until you're sick, right? And that's where like strategies come into play for how to do that, how to like get a piece of chocolate rather than a bar of chocolate or whatever. And... Um, that to me is it may seem like a semantic play but it's not to me killing cravings is like a it's like dirty it's destructive i'm gonna get a thing that kills things and end it you know for me i i i embrace all of my cravings you know like i'm not afraid to talk about uh, that i like ice cream and that i crave it sometimes and that uh, sometimes yeah gets a little bit out of my control when i'm eating it right um but rolling with it, accept, accepting, I will crave the things that I crave, is probably a star. Uh, and then accepting that it's cool, but I may have control over that too. You know, I don't know how you think about it, Brian, but I think somebody even goes you like dessert. I know you like dessert. You know, so. I like dessert. <laughs> I have dessert every day. Right, a little bit of dark chocolate uh, and some wine with dinner because I I enjoy those things. Like my mm-hmm. son Ryan, so he, he craves good tasting meals. Like. I also crave good tasting <laughs> meals. Like, I don't want to eat plain chicken breasts with plain brown rice and plain broccoli mm-hmm. for every meal the rest of my life. Right? I like something that tastes good. We, we, we go out to dinner and enjoy good dinners. So you're, you're right. Killing the cravings, sometimes I think it's the, the question isn't necessarily what they actually want to kill. Mm-hmm. What they want to kill are overpowering urges to do things that end up preventing the progress they want to make. Mm-hmm. Right. So they think of it as, well, I just want to get rid of cravings, period. Yeah. And like we come from a perspective of like, we've been on both sides, right? So I don't want you to actually kill your cravings. Mm-hmm. I just want you to not have cravings that lead to yeah. repercussions, right? Strong negative repercussions. So like personally, yeah, like I crave some dark chocolate every night. I mm-hmm. have a little dark chocolate and dried fruit. And I enjoy the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it also, one of the strategies I think is most 
most powerful you touched on it earlier was the mindfulness thing right mm-hmm. like Krista talks about this a lot like if you have a craving for chocolate awesome roll with that craving trying to fight it and fight it and fight it is a losing proposition mm-hmm. right it ends up just you think about it you have that internal dialogue you grapple with it and it's on your mind for like an hour until finally you just say screw it and you succumb to it mm-hmm. right and then you eat six chocolate bars where instead you could just say, oh, yeah, I'd go for a little chocolate right now. Yeah. And you have a little chocolate and you eat it mindfully and you enjoy the hell out of it while you're eating it. So what does that mean? Like, what does eating it mindfully mean? Um, it, it's some of the things you talked about, you know. So you you eat it, you savor the bite, you don't just power through it. You eat it slowly, you, you notice the taste, the flavor, the texture. Not that you have to become this connoisseur of chocolate, mm-hmm. right, and, and note all the, the flavors and, you know, textures to the nth degree. But you can sit there and appreciate this is this some damn I good taste chocolate. Oak. I taste right. chocolate. <laughs> right. Like I, I don't, I don't know drink wine. Sniff the wine. Yeah. Like that's not how you know. I just drink it. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy it while I drink mm-hmm. it. So it's oftentimes when people have cravings like that, they don't even necessarily enjoy. When you eat six chocolate bars, it's it's not probably because you're just really enjoying. Yeah, the you're chocolate. probably not eating it slowly. Right. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so, and oftentimes, if you just eat it slowly and pay attention to it a little bit. And rather than eating it while you're watching a movie, or you have all these other distractions, mm-hmm. um, or if you're eating it with company, oftentimes mm-hmm. I find that can be helpful because you're not going to just plow through six chocolate bars while you're chat- chatting with your wife, right, or with your kids. And so, <laughs> it's just, it's just, I just had this vision of my buddies over, and they're <laughs> the like, monster. And they're like <laughs> having a conversation, and then they're like, what about you, JB? <laughs> and I'm like, I have half a chocolate bar in my mouth, and it's like smeared all over my face, and I'm not paying attention to them. You know, so uh, it's yeah, it'd be hard to do. I think that can go a really long way, and mm-hmm. I certainly, yeah, I completely agree. Killing well, so cravings. you said like you have like dark chocolate, some dried fruit, and a glass of wine as like dessert sometimes for dinner. Well, how do you sometimes? Pre- <laughs> yeah, how do you prevent yourself from not eating too much? Like they all taste good mm-hmm. together. They taste really good. Like some dried fruit, it's sweet, and then the right. chocolate, which is a little bit bitter, um, amazing. So. How do you, like, not have more? Like, I, I don't suspect you, like, when you have a small piece and a little handful, you're like, yeah, I don't want any more, right? You probably want more, but well, how do you not eat it? Well, I mean, there's a couple different things for me. I mean, one is I, I come from an engineering background. I tend to have a pretty just logical mind. So I just take logical steps. Like, I pre-portion. Mm-hmm. I take my three squares of chocolate. I close the chocolate bar back up. And I, like, put it in the middle of the table because my wife's going to grab some. Mm-hmm. I open up the dried fruit, I take out my serving, you know, four or five, maybe six pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's supposed to be four, but you're right. Cause <laughs> if it was yeah. just sitting there open, oh, yeah. there's no doubt I would I would eat six or five or whatever. And it would just be sitting there open next to me, and I'm talking yeah. to my wife, and you end up just reaching back in and grabbing oh, yeah. some more. Um, so I just force myself. Mm-hmm. And not, not through, like, this negative, uh, forceful, you know, connotation that I can have. It's just... I take out what I want, what I'm yeah, going to enjoy yeah. a little bit of everything. Right? I might take out, a, like, a, my son is obsessed with prunes all of a sudden lately. Like, prune? <laughs> looks, you know, when I'm eating my dried yeah. fruit, like, he's really into it. So I take out some prunes for him and a few things for my daughter, and I pass it on to my wife. And now I'd have to actively, like, yeah. actually get up and go get the bag to get more fruit. So it sounds super simple, but actually, the more you can... And there's a great book called Mindless Eating by mm-hmm. Brian Wansing. He talks about some of the stuff we, we talked about with the changing your path when you walk mm-hmm. in because things can be so mindless. I'm not trying to necessarily eat more fruit, but I'm just, I'll just mindlessly grab. Mm-hmm. And so by making it more difficult for me to do that, right, like putting it up on the – or just putting it back in the fridge, the cost to go get more yeah. fruit requires me to get up out of my chair, walk up to the fridge. Like I already ate some. So my yeah. desire is, is now lower, and so that cost seems higher. 
Plus, in that time, you can actually contemplate whether you really want right. to eat more fruit or right. not, or whether that would serve your goals, right? Yeah, that's true. I think another important point related to cravings, and I think one of the reasons Brian might be able to eat a reasonable amount of those things, is he's he's choosing something he wanted to eat. So mm-hmm. you didn't have a, a, a protein bar instead right. of the chocolate, right. or a diet soda instead of the wine, or whatever, like... Uh, nothing wrong if somebody finds a substitution or alternative yeah. food useful I think that's fantastic but I, I like to walk clients through that process of like hey I really wanted a cookie but cookies are you know they're, they're, they're junk food I'm not going to mm-hmm. eat cookies so instead I, I mixed up you know some, some protein powder and cottage cheese and like trail mix and <laughs> <laughs> some and concoction I, form and baked into a cookie and I had that, and it wasn't satisfying because it wasn't the cookie. Meanwhile, right. like calorically speaking, it actually had like more calories than the cookie. Yes, right. so like better calories. Scratch right. the itch. Now have the cookie, and maybe that will allow you to feel okay and satisfied more than like. I used to hear this, and I used to think like oh, I don't know about that. And it's oh, in my life, it's so true, right? It's so true. Mm. If back to ice cream, like if I want ice cream as dessert, nothing else. Will 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 satisfy it. Right. Nothing else, right? I can make a pseudo healthy concoction. I could find something totally different. I don't know apple pie, right? And it's crazy because again, autopilot. I'll eat the pie, and then I'll put the thing in the dishwasher, and then I'll go to. The, I'll find myself standing <laughs> in front of the fridge and freezer, still like looking for some. Still, I'm still like my brain is still looking for ice cream. And then I might even eat another dessert. I'll, I'll watch myself, right? And but it, but it doesn't count because I'm standing at the fridge eating it, right? And then I, then I'm like, look at what's happening. It's so cute. I think it's so cute when we're like so human, right? right. It's so cute how human I am. Like I wanted ice cream. I tried to do that thing that Brian always says, which is not to do, which is try and substitute it with something else. I did it. And here I go doing the thing Ryan said I would do. It's so crazy and true, you know. So um, now, obviously, like some of the more hardcore people in fitness would be like, okay, so really what you're telling people, Ryan, is to eat cookies every night if they want them. And that brings up a great point because if somebody is going through the process of actively changing their body and they want a certain result, cookies probably aren't going to fit in too much to that result. If somebody says, I really want to pursue... Uh, you know, the maximum amount of fat loss every week and the rest of my diet is all in check, everything's good. Well, cookies might not fit into that. At least for that time, you're actively changing your body. goes back to what we were talking about with maintenance. When you get to that point and you're happy, you might have some more wiggle room on a regular basis to eat cookies. But yeah, I think you got to be honest with what you want to achieve and if, if it's a certain level of leanness and muscularity, the frequency of cookie consumption might it might be one cookie once a week instead mm-hmm. of once a day or once every right, three right. days or once right. you know you got to kind of tinker around with the frequency mm-hmm. and see what works absolutely and i think that goes right back to like when jb was talking about that cost of getting lean piece right like if someone says you know what but i just really want to have a cookie every day okay that's that's fine there's in, nothing inherently wrong with that but we're gonna have to have a discussion now but where you want to end up like if you want to do that cookie every day awesome Here's where you can get with that as a, a daily habit. If they're okay, if you're okay with that trade-off, like just be aware there might be a trade-off. Like there is a trade-off to the fact that I eat chocolate and drink wine every night, right? 
Mm -hmm. I'm not 6% body fat. I choose not to be 6% body fat. I'm content being 12, 11 percent because it allows me to live a lifestyle that I'm very content with living. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to still be fit and healthy and trim, but not forego my nightly dark chocolate Mm -hmm. and dried fruit and wine, right? Yeah, this is such like an interesting nutrition conversation, right? Because we're like, uh, it doesn't, uh, to me it's weird because it doesn't fit in with what the industry is focusing on nowadays. Really, I mean, if you think about it, like we just said that during maintenance times, it could be quite fine, possibly even part of a healthy lifestyle to have a cookie every night, right? But nowadays in fitness and nutrition, like sugars, it's really bad for you, right? It um, does things to your immune system and diabetes is inevitable. And, you know, it's, but it's not the sugar. It's the insulin that, you know, you, you guys know the story. So we shouldn't be talking about cookies at all, guys. <laughs> so what... Um, you know where I'm going with this, right? It's 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 particularly salient. Like, are we crazy? Like, are we just crazy to talk like that? Are we are we soft? Are we just are we just weak? Right? Like, we're not hardcore enough, not disciplined enough, not serious enough to exclude sugar. Uh, like everyone knows, we ought to. Um, like how how do if I'm listening to this how do I reconcile that because it's hard. It's and I think again it comes down to understanding the strategies and tools you need for the goals that you that you want. If you want to be someone whose life is all about fitness and that's that's inherently fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And you want to be incredibly incredibly lean and muscular, you more or less have to live that life without sugar. It's just a it's just a requirement to get to that endpoint. But if you're someone who doesn't have that as their end goal, and I'll use myself as an example because it's the easy example, easiest example for me to use, like that was once a goal in my life, right? To get really big or to get really lean. I'm at a point in my life where that's no longer a goal, right? I'm content with my body composition. And I'm content with the choices that I make and that leave me where I'm at. So some sugar is okay for me. But you're even painting a little extreme picture. Like um, bodybuilders shouldn't eat sugar. But right now... All around the fitness community, I'm hearing that anyone who wants to achieve health shouldn't eat sugar. Is that just flat out erroneous? In my opinion, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, I would say it, it flat that's out. That's why you're sitting here because I want your right, opinion, yeah. right? You know, like, and I think a lot of times when you you look at that information, it's just so far out of context. Um, yes, if I consumed six sodas a day, that amount of sugar or fructose could cause problems for my liver and cause problems for fat storage in my liver and visceral fat. You can get all delve right down deep into it, inflammation and then insulin resistance. But I'm not ever, ever suggesting anyone eat six or consume six cans of sugar a day mm-hmm. or six cans of soda a day, right? But if you're going to have a cookie or some ice cream, like everyone's allowed some discretionary calories. Like there's no evidence in my mind that supports the idea that you have to eat eat clean right? so or paleo harder or this whole concept of like again it, it comes back to me you know you know my thoughts on perfection mm-hmm. that's just it's impossible it's unsustainable and it's completely unnecessary yeah so basically you're saying like the eating no sugar for health is um not, sucks yeah it sucks. <laughs> it do that. it's not yeah. worth it to me and it's not just that people are too weak to no, be able to do it no. it's that it doesn't even matter it, like it's not even important no not not to 
No, absolutely not. It's just quite frankly not. Now, decreasing your sugar, sure. You know, not focusing your diet on sugar, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but completely eliminating, like eliminating cravings, the same kind of idea. There's nothing you have to, unless you have a specific health condition. There's nothing you have to eliminate. There's no mm-hmm. food group. There's no food that you ultimately have to utterly eliminate from your life. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so good. It's just I, I constantly think about how hard it must be for someone listening reading, learning in the industry, um, and how they figure this out with all the other stuff that's out there. You know what I mean? Like how to, where do they put this information within the context of that other stuff? Right. And, um, the truth is I don't quite know. I, I, I think we're right. And I think that extremism is a little bit crazy in my opinion, you know, that people telling you never to eat sugar are going about it all wrong, you know? And I suspect if I followed them around yeah. with the documentary crew that Ryan likes to hire, uh, we find them eating these things once in a while. And then what, what happens, right? I remember I was at a seminar one time, and there was a guy preaching the value of like a paleo lifestyle. And then, I mean, I, I mostly eat that way myself, not because it's paleo. It's just because that's generally in line with the types of choices I make each day. Uh, I eat vegetables and meat and stuff, you know? So, um, and I remember he was talking about like the dangers of lectins, like these particular molecules in beans and some legumes and vegetables. And he was just going down the old paleo party line, right? All the things in grains and legumes and all, you know? And uh, that night at dinner, like the guy was like, you know, you go to a restaurant and they give you the free bread. He's like eating bread and drinking Guinness. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is kind of crazy to me, right? That, and I, I whatever, I, I ate bread with you guys today at lunch. I'm not against bread or Guinness. It's just that, like, uh, we talk about do your behaviors match your values. Well, that was not a case of that, at least, uh, or maybe it was just your, what you preach doesn't even match what's what you do right what's possible right so uh you know i I don't know i mean i think about this kind of thing a lot and i suspect people who are trying to make lifestyle changes do as well and uh, that's why i love talking with you guys and working with you guys because how how do we find the way to have to, to help people achieve uh fitness and health within the context of a real human life not a make pretend human life a perfect human life fantasy land you know, where you have unlimited time and unlimited discipline and no kids who want any foods that aren't on the menu, uh, but within the real life, you know? And, and and it's one of the reasons I love hanging out with you guys when we can, because we'll go out and eat and I can watch how you guys eat, you know? And I go, oh yeah, they're just normal dudes. They probably eat a little bit better than like maybe the average North American, but there's nothing crazy here, you know? And they have lives and they figure this out. So that's always cool to me. So, fellas, we can wrap this up unless you have any other topics that are on your mind or parting thoughts. Anything else you want to uh, leave the audience with before we wrap up here? Oh yeah, well, well yeah. One thing actually occurred to me, which was as a one thing I always I'm always mindful of is that when I get together with guys like you, sometimes we talk about nutrition at the thought level that we're at now. Which is, is interesting. I mean, it's fun for me. We've all been doing this a super long time, as Ryan pointed out, and our thinking's evolved. But not everyone's here yet, right? Right. 
So like, I was thinking about the workout thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just had a coach design a little workout thing for me that took 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, maybe someone would be curious what that was, right? So I, I actually was like, oh, maybe I should share that, right? So um, for everyone who's listening and heard that part earlier where I talked about like when I was super busy and did the 15-minute workout thing, what did it look like? So I would just get out of bed, you know, and I would have like a little circuit of air squats. That's just where you put your hands behind your head. Some people call them prisoner squats, right? And you just squat up and down for like 10 times. And then I would do push-ups. So I'd do those. Um, you know, crunches was another part of the thing, you know? And you can scale these, right? Like you can do your air squats with, I don't know, a medicine ball or whatever. But my criterion was nothing, right? So I just air squats. You can make your push-ups harder or not. And I just literally would do those three exercises in like no rest circuit fashion till I needed a little rest and I take a little rest and then I'd go again until like 15 minutes were up. It really doesn't get any simpler than that, you know? So for anyone listening in who's like, oh, I've got a thing going on right now, air squat, push up and crunches. Just do them for 15 minutes. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one, no one steal this and publish it because it's really cutting edge. But it did the job, right? It did it three or four times a week. Well, that's the one thing before we wrap. What, what have we talked about today for each of you that maybe was too high level or maybe too not prescriptive enough? Like, what would you want people who think about maintenance, who think about limiting factors, who think about mindfulness and awareness of how they eat, um, what to do Ryan anything something prescriptive yeah we just did, did we miss anything like because we're us you know what I mean like and so we make a lot of assumptions and whatever so do we miss yeah, anything yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll leave everybody with something I think it's very common for us to want to compare ourselves to other people and with the state of health and nutrition and physical activity in North America, it's easy to think that we're doing a pretty kick-butt job with our nutrition and physical activity, but... Like if I compare myself to my Aunt Bertha yeah, or whatever. Say, well, <laughs> <you're right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you compare yourself to somebody else and say, well, I'm doing better than them, so this is fantastic. Well, eh, you're comparing yourself to a baseline that might not be very healthy at all. It might be you know, terrible for your health. So I would leave people with that. I would say, be careful with who you compare yourself to. Is it leading to positive decisions in your life? May, are you, would you be better off comparing yourself to previous versions of yourself, who you want to be comparing yourself to somebody you want to be like, mm -hmm. you know, what if you want to be like JB? Okay. Well, you might want to compare yourself to more to how JB lives rather than mm -hmm. great uncle Tim or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it actually reminded me of something. Uh, when I was in university, right, and I was studying exercise science, you know, in exercise science, body composition is something you learn about, how to measure it, what the norms are. And I remember the average college-aged male in the first exercise science textbook I got was 12%. So that was the number that they gave. The average man in college, young man in college, was 12% the people they all measured and the last textbook I saw was like 18% and that's not even in like 
one generation. That's half a generation, right? It just reminded me of what you said because back then you were comparing to 12%. Mm -hmm. And if you're a college student who was like 15 or 18%, you were pretty far behind the curve. Nowadays it's 18%. So if you're going, oh, well, that's what normal is, right? And now if you're 25%, you're equally behind the curve as you were at 18. And it's crazy. Like, where does it keep going, right? Uh, so it reminds me of that. How about you, bro? I've been racking my brain over here while Ryan's talking, trying to think about, you know, what nugget I can leave people with, what prescriptive thing. And I, and I think I'm having a hard time with it, you know, to be honest. There's so many things, I think, swimming around in my mind that can be helpful and I always come back to, and obviously I'm, I'm just very proud of this this piece, but that cost of getting lean piece and just the whole concept of, you know, I really want people to focus on figuring out, okay, where they are now and where you want to go. To me, that's just incredibly important because too often I think when, when I work with clients, the, the goal is just some ambiguous thing. I want to lose weight. Sometimes it's just a number. Sometimes it's not even a number. I just want to lose weight. I just want to... You know, I want to feel better. Well, how are you going to know when you feel better? Or how are you going to know when you've lost the amount of weight you want to lose? Right? And you can get into making concrete goals and smart goals, and there are all these all these ways of tracking goals. But I think ultimately, you know, what I want to really get across to people is think about where you are now, think about where you'd like to be, and then you know, remove some of the like the things we've talked about, some of the limiting factors or the the things that you know about yourself that might be the biggest impediments to you getting where you want to go. Um, and maybe that's not as prescriptive as I'd like it to be. But in the end, I think ultimately you have to know where you want to go to get from where you are now. You need to be able to create a plan to get there. And that plan doesn't have to be uh, you know, overly prescriptive. It doesn't have to be laid out to the T right, with a written out diet plan you're going to follow. But if you don't have an end goal in mind, and that end goal can change. That happens all the time. right? End goal might be X, and by the time you start along the process, you want to end up somewhere else. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you don't have that end goal to begin with, it's hard to then navigate your mm -hmm. way through it. So I think you know, having a, a plan or having a, uh, a starting point and what your finish point might be you know, to a degree is incredibly helpful to help you then navigate mm -hmm. your way through. Without that finish point, you're just traveling without a map or a compass. Mm -hmm. right? so. Yeah, I really like that because uh, everyone talks about goals. But if you just focus on what your goal is, and you have no idea where you are now, right, like, or no way to know where that fits, that's the really tough part. Right. Because you don't know how far you have to go. So that's why I love the other side of it, which is, where are you right now? Hmm. Not, not just like, I feel bad or whatever, or I, I'm overweight or I'm underweight, um, but where, do, where, where is all of it right now on the spectrum? Right? And then you know, okay, oh, well, here's where I want to go. This is six steps or six degrees or whatever rather than one. Right. You know? Because it's never just one usually. Right? If you want to make a big change in your life, you're a lot of degrees away from where you want to be, not just one. But, like, you set me up really nicely because I've said this often. I've said it in writing. I've said it in interviews and stuff. But the biggest thing for me is just get help. Like, just get help. Um, I don't know. I feel so sad when I, when I see people try and do stuff that's hard or they're ill-equipped to do without help in every domain, not just fitness. I mean, it's why we built PN in the first place. 
And it's why I even wanted to build PN in the first place, because I got help. You know, uh, Brian and I, you, you and I were talking about this the other day. Like, when I was uh, in high school, I was a non-committed student, is a nice way of putting it, and I got really bad grades, and I wasn't even accepted into any colleges. So um, people could have told me, well, you have to get your act together, and you have to be serious about school and stuff like that. But that was like meaningless to me. You know what I mean? It's like, it just means like, do harder whatever you're doing now. But that would have not gotten me anywhere right. because I didn't need to work harder. I needed like a whole new way of working, right? And a whole new way of doing stuff. And thankfully, I found a mentor who helped me with that. Like, he had been to business school and he ran a successful business and he was into working out. So I could just like mirror his behaviors and he gave me like, Oh, yeah, you don't just have to work harder what you're doing now because that'd be dumb because you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> so try this instead. And it doesn't just fast track your progress. In some cases, it makes change possible in the first place. So for me, that's like what I always find so much value in. And I still do it to this day. Every time I need to do something, I find the person I can learn that from. I talked to someone else about the other day, my brain, my famous brain picking fee. So, you know, if there's something I want to learn, and I, there's a world expert on that thing. I don't really even want to read their book or watch a bunch of seminars by them. I want to talk to them. I want to ask them questions so I can make it relevant to my life. So I'll find a way to get their phone number or email address. And I'll send them a message and say, hey, Brian St. Pierre, Ryan Andrews, world leader, whatever. Um, uh, the thing that you're world class at, I really want to learn. What's your brain picking fee? Can I give you like a hundred bucks to talk to you for an hour and learn the thing that I need to learn, right? And like, it works almost every time. And it's like hiring a coach. And I can do it seven times a week if I want. So I have seven different coaches, you know what I mean? And um, it's just so valuable for me personally to have a coach. And, you know, I've had counseling over the years. I've had strength coaches over the years. I've had my own nutrition coaches over the years. I've had everything. And I, I honestly don't know what I feel like I'd just be like a pool of goo if, if I didn't actually get help, you know? And so that to me is the most important part, just getting help. So if you're listening to this and there's areas of your life you want improvement, if it's nutrition, let's say maybe you're in our coaching program, great, you've done part of that already. Uh, the next step is use the help, right? Like use your coaches. Um, if you're not, if you're listening to this because it's on a podcast or something like that, you know, and, and there's something you've wanted to change for a long time, ah, just find some way. It doesn't have to be expensive help. It doesn't have to be intensive help. But I don't know. I've just seen it. Things are hard to do. You know, things are sometimes hard to do. And kind of muscling your own way to it seems noble at times. But I don't know. The older I get, the more silly it sounds. And I suspect that'll continue. So that's my parting gift to everyone. Just get help. Guys. This was fantastic. Thanks for sitting down with me today and doing this. Hope uh, everybody enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Okay, everyone. That's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. For more information about how to eat, move, and live better yourself, and for some awesome free nutrition and health resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at Inside. PN. Talk to you next time.